a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, November 21st, 2023, what should have been the third day of my trial at the District of Columbia Superior Court. The trial I've been waiting for for 11 and a half years in that fetid septic tank where justice goes to die. Uh, It is uh, 4 p.m. North American Eastern Time here in New Hampshire. It's a chilly day, actually, snowing in the North Country. Uh, 5 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 5.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev. And also Tel Aviv. Do they have a long vowel too? Uh, Because that's the zone where they hold all the wars. 11 p.m. in Aden and Sanaa, where one or other of the competing Yemeni regimes has just declared war on Israel. When I say one or other, I think there's actually three of them. Uh, No idea which one has actually declared war on Israel. 11.30 p.m. in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 4 a.m. in Singapore and Hong Kong, 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, 9 a.m. in Auckland. A far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree, and even deeper into Thursday in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Great to be back with you. 
A century ago today, uh, November the 1st, 1923, Aero Osakeyuftia, which subsequently changed its name to Finnair, was founded. Uh, Finnair, happy 100th birthday to Finnair. I was thinking of, I don't think of Finnair terribly often, but I thought of Finnair just yesterday. After whatever lousy airline it was, I took out of Washington, D.C. I was looking at the bag of sun chips and uh, remarked that on thin air, they serve you reindeer tartar. Happy days. No reindeer tartar today. As I said, there's just uh, snow in the North Country. Hope it's more temperate where you are. I must thank uh, all those of you who have... Uh, signed up for a limited edition Liberty Stick, which I've been signing and numbering. It's an alternative to Michael E. Mann's hockey stick, and I'm delighted uh, that so many of you have decided (laughs) you need one. Uh, I was shaking it outside the D.C. Superior Court on Monday, Uh, when uh, the trial that I'd been preparing for was cancelled at the last minute. Um, So it's a useful thing to be able to shake at people you want to shake sticks at. Uh, You can get it at at the Stein store. Uh, You can link to that over at steinonline.com. You know, this awful 11 and a half years in the crap hole of DC justice has cost millions and millions and it's currently it's in the uh, it's climbing out of the mid seven figures uh, towards the high seven figures and eventually presumably <laughs> eight figures that's what it costs but when the judge does something this judge and you know I don't like him because of he made me sicker at the time I had my two heart attacks the judge made me sicker so I'm down on him you, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And this fourth trial judge made a bad first impression with me. But if you just think about it, you know, the never mind the whatever I was saying there, the high seven figures, just the nonsense about, oh, by the way, uh, I think we've no idea why this judge is. Oh, he maybe have taken a positive. He's got a positive COVID test. Well, whoop to do. Do you know what your positive COVID test? COVID isn't a problem if you don't bother getting the test. Uh, the, the, the cost of you think you're going for a trial in the, in the awful, hideous, grisly, miserable capital city of America. So you have to uh, book, uh, you know, you have to do some deal to get a favorable rate on hotel rooms for a month. There's tons. This judge, by the way, they've invented, I don't know how many of you know this. They've got this thing called the Internet now. Do you know that? Have you heard of this? And it's where people just, uh, you know, you don't have to be feeding a 40-page fax into the fax machine anymore. Apparently, you can. it all just like pops up on a screen uh, that comes with this uh, thing called a computer. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. But anyway, this judge has said he wants everything on paper, right? I'll just give, this is just a for instance. In a trial, 
that's thousands and thousands of pages. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to rent a small room at the uh, young men's youth hostel and I'll use the communal bathroom at the end of the corridor. You've got to have a room just for all the paper and the printer churning all the stuff out for the judge who's demanded everything in, in paper. So expecting the trial to start on Monday morning, you know, we arranged to ship a print. This isn't even stuff I know anything about. I only find out about it because, um, you know, uh, my publicist is trying to rustle up a courier to take the printer somewhere. Now we're not going to be in the hotel for this month, but we're going to be there next year or whenever. You know, all that stuff, all that, all the, 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 the big month-long hotel booking uh, special rate you did, you negotiated, the cost of the, uh, getting the printer there, um, you know, uh, the, the, even the, the flight when I flew down, I'm just going to unload on this because I'm in a very bad mood with the District of Columbia Superior Court, which can't litigate this case, can't adjudicate this case in 11 and a half years. Um, but on Thursday, last Thursday, six days ago, it was the funeral in England of my dear friend Brian Savin, whom I worked with for 40 years he did all our radio shows. He produced Song of the Week for Serenade Radio. And we did a lot of things before that. Won a prize for one of them, if I recall correctly. But uh, it was Brian's funeral on Thursday. And I would loved to have been there, but I couldn't because I was up to my neck in this trial, uh, which was supposed to be going on this week. So I was making arrangements to fly down to Washington, D.C. and everything. This prat of a judge... Couldn't have, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have cancelled the trial earlier. In fact, it would have helped. It's not as big a loss to me as uh, not being able to attend um, my dear friend's funeral. But um, the, uh, the, uh, when, when we got to the airport, it was the usual on Sunday afternoon to board the flight to D.C. It was the usual cluster bleep. They'd oversold... <laughs> as they say, the flight. So they were doing all this stuff and trying to persuade people to piss off and not take the flight. So they said, oh, well, we've uh, got a $200 voucher if you'll just get off the plane. And, uh, people, and people are expert in this now. So they'll say, I'm not taking the $200 voucher. Let's just wait 15 minutes. So 15 minutes later, it's a $400 voucher they're offering. No, 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 no. It's like the price is right. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to overshoot, but you, 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 you don't want to come in too low either. So another 15 minutes go by and it was like $700 and some voucher for a vacation at the Caribbean. If this stinker of a judge who is, if this stinker of a judge who, who, who postponed the trial had only postponed it while we were still at the airport, I could have got a $700 and a voucher for some vacation in the Caribbean, which I dearly love, because uh, that would have been at least partially mitigated all the money I wasted flying down to D.C. 
uh, and then uh, and 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 then for nothing, and then having to try and rustle up a flight to get me back to New Hampshire. By the way, do you know what the same day attempted same day booking <laughs> uh, to get a flight out of Washington D.C.? I think this was on the Monday. It was four thousand dollars per person, right? From Washington, D.C. to northern New England, which isn't really going anywhere. I mean, for $4,000, you can go to Venice, which is at least going from somewhere to somewhere different. So anyway, I'm mad with this uh, judge. <laughs> uh, and as you may have seen, it's all, uh, as you may have seen, people. Uh, we've had a lot of emails from people who were shocked to see me because I haven't actually been on screen since the shows we filmed in early uh, July on the Mark Stein cruise, then they're shocked to see me in a wheelchair and with white hair. Uh, and I'll just get out of the, that out of the way first. The, the white hair, uh, after my, I think this came about in Milan, or certainly it was in Milan that I noticed it, but uh, as I've said, I had a third heart attack. And a couple of days after that, I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I noticed that my side sideboard, sideburns, whatever you call them, I, is one American, one British? I can't remember anymore. But the sideboards, uh, my sideboards had gone white. Uh, and I remembered, uh, you know, I can't stand all the superhero movies. The only kind of storytelling uh, a dying civilization does. Uh, we don't need superheroes. We need heroes. Anyway, the superhero, uh, the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. I heard this from Stan himself over 20 years ago. Uh, explained that uh, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards, his sideboards had turned prematurely gray because when he was being turned into Mr. Fantastic, he was in outer space and coming back down to Earth and he went into a storm of gamma rays or something. And the storm of gamma rays gave him his superpowers, so he became Mr. Fantastic. But they also, the stress of... Uh, being turned into Mr. Fantastic also <laughs> made his sideboards turn white. So I was thinking, oh, I've got a touch of the Mr. Fantastics going on. I was thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a good look. Might have to uh, nip uh, down to the pharmacy uh, when uh, I'm all clear of this and get me some, uh, what, what, whatever they call it, Geraldo. <laughs> I've got a Geraldo. <laughs> and I had a funny conversation about this one. Oh, um, just for men, something like whatever the Italian version of just for men is. So I go to sleep and uh, wake up the next morning and like my beard is turning white and my <coughs> hair is turning white. So it's all white now. So I can't afford, after all the money I lost when they postponed the trial, I can't afford the vat of just for men I would need to shower in. Uh, to turn my hair any other any other uh, color. Anyway, that's just what's happened with the white hair. My uh, hairdresser in France, she told me, oh, it's not unusual after a sudden shock, your hair turns white, but sometimes it turns back to whatever it was before. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but uh, you never know. Let us get to your questions before my uh, bitterness 
seeps out the speakers and starts dripping its toxins on your footwear. Andrew Curl says, Hi, Mark. I've enjoyed listening to your video depositions this past week. I've always loved your sharp wit and humor. And it is great fun listening to it in a legal setting. What, if anything, can you tell us about Dr. Fraud Pants' deposition? Is there any chance we could ever watch that? I would love to see you deposing man. I would pay extra to see that. I just ordered my signed hockey stick and can't wait to get it. It will hang in a prominent place in my office. God bless you and take good care of yourself and get well. Thank you very much for those good wishes, Andrew. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm not sure what the legal situation uh, with respect to uh, posting uh, Michael E. Mann's deposition would be. By the way, if you want to see me deposing Mann, better than that, you can see me cross-examining Mann whenever this bloody trial gets rescheduled in the District of Columbia because I'd like to have, after all these years, I'd like to have that treat myself. So that will be something worth coming to see. I, I, I should look into what the legal situation reposting Michael E. Mann's deposition is because he's a very litigious guy. I know that because uh, I think it was just last week we deposed a perfectly harmless person that he had threatened Um He'd, has, he'd sicked his lawyer on him, and the lawyer had taken a somewhat expansive view of the law uh, and, as a result, uh, frightened the guy into uh, backing down. Nicola Timmerman says, has the story... This all, by the way, is uh, my case uh, against... or his case against me. Michael E. Mann is the creator of the global warming hockey stick, which purported to show global temperatures for the last thousand years. Nothing happens for the first 900 years. And then Henry Ford invents the Model T and you climb into it and start tootling around. And the suddenly, after nothing happening for 900 years, the global temperature rockets up out of the end of the graph, out the top right-hand corner and into the stratosphere because we're all going to fry. And <laughs> I think it's complete bollocks. And I've said it's complete bollocks for almost a quarter century now. Uh, and so he finally got around to suing me. And that case will be coming uh, to a D.C. courtroom sometime in the next 11 and a half years, presumably. Nicola Timmerman from Francophone, Ontario. Nicola Timmerman writes, has the story of the disappearing judge appeared anywhere in the media, uh, such as on Tucker, now on X? Now, I don't think Tucker, Tucker, who did, uh, I think the last thing I saw from Tucker, he was uh, talking to Nigel Farage. Um, I don't know whether it's received any media coverage as such, although I don't entirely rule out the fact that there were media inquiries made to the D.C. courthouse to find out what their procedures were uh, that may also have uh, rattled the judge. Sabre Mike Carroll. We must play. The, I don't think we've actually. Have we played the Sabre dance on this show? Uh, maybe we did by Hatcheturian. Gesundheit. Um, but we should maybe play it. Sabre Mike Carroll. 
uh, writes, Mark, your, quote, visit to our nation's capital, or is that crapital? Reminded me of an old joke that ran through my head the last time I had the misfortune to have been there. The best part about visiting D.C. is leaving it. Wishing you the best of health and continuing to fight the good fight. I find it very odd, but I'll just say something about capital cities in general. I don't really like purpose-built capitals Uh, like Washington, like Ottawa, like Canberra. I believe there's quite a few in Latin America. Oh, there is in Belize, too, uh, and um, which is uh, non-Latin America. Uh, and I, so I don't believe uh, in these purpose-built capitals because what I like about, you know, Paris, Rome, London, Vienna, whatever, is that they're full-spectrum capitals. So you've also got the big finance there, you know, the City of London, the Bourse in Paris. Uh, You've got all the arts. You've got the West End Theatre. You've got the fashion in Paris, the great fashion houses. So the politicians are, are, generally speaking, the least important people in town. So, you know, if you want to go and have dinner in German Street, uh, in St. James's, the Lord Privy Seal is going to be seated at the table at the back by the toilet door. And I think that's actually quite good. When you have... The thing I dislike about Washington, D.C. is it's 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 uh, it's just all politics all the time. And that's not good. And I notice when you're walking around, which I didn't do this time, mainly because I can't walk... <laughs> But also because I don't like the around I would have been walking around in is that you see all these like on all these sort of uh, three story walk ups, the sort of nicer buildings. You see all these brass nameplates on them for associations of this and uh, the, uh, the 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 union of that, you know, for, for organizations you've never heard of, but are discreetly positioned next to the Capitol and the White House uh, in order to uh, petition the powerful uh, for things that advantage them. And I hate that. Hate, 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 hate it. Walking around seeing all these organizations that are the reasons that have corrupted responsible government in the United States and are the reasons why America is now the brokey, brokey, brokeyest nation in history. Uh, Niels uh, Tiger, did I get that right? I hope I didn't make it sound like Tiger in A.A. Mill. Riesgaard uh, writes from Denmark, <laughs> where this 11 and a half year lawsuit would have been wrapped up 10 years ago. Uh, And Neil says, what would you suggest to prevent the aforementioned abuse of the judiciary power in school? We learned about division of the powers of government into legislature, executive and judiciary. Each of the powers were meant to keep an eye on the other two powers called the checks and balances. I take it that these checks and balances are out of order, maybe swallowed up in woke discourse. We also learned to say Montesquieu. Montesquieu, I think, is the French way, but most, I think, most uh, Anglo's call it Montesquieu. Uh, in history class, though a Frenchman, 
He let himself be inspired by British rule. That's true. Actually, pre-British, he he regarded, uh, before the uh, Act of Union, England as a kind of crowned republic. He could not help seeing that the monarch and parliament and law courts were separated. I expect this old sound British rule to do its duty in Mr. Stein's lawsuit against Ofcom and not degenerate into making another practical joke of Stein's non-stop crossings of the Atlantic. In my old days, I've learned that the very process can easily be the secret verdict and penalty. By the way, I was not amused to see you in that wheelchair. Well, well, it wasn't meant to be amusing. If I wanted a uh, novelty, uh, amusing comedy wheelchair, I'd have got one, and then uh, while my wheeler... (laughs) was distracted by a traffic cop or whatever, I'd just roll down the incline, picking up speed, and be going full Mr. Bean. Uh, And that would have made a great uh, video, although I'm not entirely sanguine about, in the event of a road accident, the uh, hospital I'd be taken to in that town. Anyway, Niels, thank you for that question. I've made my suggestions about... Uh, what to do about the uh, the judiciary power. I made them 15 years ago in the Conrad Back case. I've called for, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, an end to some of these plea bargains and settlements. Uh, and an, because I think they're a corrupting of justice, as you know, I think, in effect, the Department of Justice just buys its witnesses. I made all those kind of things. We now have an additional problem, <clears throat> in that the law is explicitly, there is no longer any equality before the law. I could point to decisions in my own case in which it's clear what these crappy and very unimpressive uh, appellate judges in particular um, uh, think about the the so-called science of so-called global warming. But it's got worse than that now. It's basically just, you know, if you're a certain type of Republican like Donald J. Trump, you're not entitled to legal representation. And if you can find some lawyer willing to represent you, uh, we will drag that, we will ruin that person's life, drag him into court uh, and force them to cop a plea. Yeah, I look at uh, Peter Navarro, uh, who was on the Mark Stein show a few months back, and he said, uh, please, can you plug my book? Because I'm looking to my uh, book royalties to offset the, my legal costs in the suing of everyone who doesn't renounce Trump. And I sort of laughed mirthlessly to myself, because unless you're J.K. Rowling, There's no amount of book royalties that can cover the cost of being in the kind of litigation he was in. Uh, That's evil, too. Completely, completely evil. You know, these these people are going to be fine. Michael Flynn is already, whatever you think of him, is already financially ruined and uh, will, will never recover from that. So, again, let's just say, as a for instance, that Trump wins in November and they allow him to win, and they allow him, after your unique, peaceful peaceful transfer of power. <laughs> That's comedy gold, that phrase. Uh, to take office in January. Who the hell do you think he's going to be able to get to serve in a Trump administration? 
You know, something to do with, you know, whether you get on with Trump, whether you're aligned with that. You've got to think that, you know, you, you'd made provision for your kids so they could go to uh, college or whatever. Uh, you also thought you'd saved up en- enough to buy a nice little vacation pad and wherever. And all that's going to be gone when they sue you for signing up with Trump. Uh, abs- ab- absolutely, uh, absolutely evil, evil evil, evil system. Uh, William Strook writes, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, I don't know whether that's, uh, is is there some kind of umlaut I've missed, a strook or whatever, or is it just the straightforward William Strook? Uh, Dear Mark, thank you for uploading your man versus Stein suit deposition. I found it illuminating and entertaining. Uh, No one graduates from high school in the UK, sir, is just one of your many great ziggers. You looked annoyed and fed up with the whole process then. I know how you feel now. In that picture posted from DC, you look terrible, drained of your happy-go-lucky vigor and understandably so. I fear your heart can't take much more of this. Have you ever considered going to a freer place like Quebec or France, and telling the court to get bent. The court and its hack judge deserve no better. Well, I understand in a way better the decision that Conrad Black made. Because uh, I never thought he'd get a, f- free tri- a fair trial in Chicago. Which is why, as you know, I offered to throw him in the flatbed of my trunk, uh, toss a tarp over him and drive him across the old logging roads uh, from Pittsburgh, New Hampshire to La Patrie, Quebec, uh, and get him out of the country, get him to Saint-Pierre and Miquelon uh, on an Air France flight to Paris and thence to a country without an extradition treaty with the United States. They shouldn't extradite to America for anything, uh, in, in my view. That's how bad it's got. Um, but, you know, Conrad wanted to defend himself. He felt he'd been, and he had been, falsely accused, and he wanted to defend himself. And a defamation suit is, you know, a defamation suit isn't like being charged with murder or burglary or even embezzlement or whatever, but it gets to your reputation, to who you are. And if I were to just scram, and believe me, uh, you know, my doctors would certainly advise me to just scram, get the hell out out of here. Um, the first, the very first line in my Wikipedia entry was that I'd been found guilty of defaming the legendary climate scientist Michael E. Mann. So I have to, even though they're crap, and even though when you stand there outside that stinking courthouse and you see all these people walking around all around you because when you're in a wheelchair, you're basically getting in everybody's way. So people are weaving in and out around you trying to get past you, all the rest of it. All these people are District of Columbia taxpayers. They've paid for this stupid, dysfunctional court to attempt to adjudicate this thing for 11 and a half years. So it's not just that I've lost, uh, spent millions of dollars on this, and so have all the other uh, parties, presumably, but that... um, 
the DC taxpayers are also on the hook. It's nothing to do with DC. I don't live in the District of Columbia. I don't work in the District of Columbia. And indeed, ever since, the only time I ever visited that place with any regularity was during the Bush years when Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld used to uh, call me up and invite me in from time to time to talk about things. Uh, It hasn't gone that way. (laughs) didn't go that way, obviously, in the Obama years. And so basically, since this suit was filed, I've never gone to that dump, except for when the the various uh, judges have ordered me to be there. uh, So, you know, I don't live there. I don't work there. Rand Simberg, my co-defendant, doesn't live there, doesn't work there. Michael E. Mann, the plaintiff, doesn't live there, doesn't work there. It's uh, so they took the, so the, they had no need to take this case because it's they're supposed to adjudicate controversies between citizens of the District of Columbia. That's who they're meant to serve. How how does it serve the District of Columbia taxpayers wasting 11 and a half years on this crap? They should all be ashamed of that. Uh, I'm getting getting too excited again. So uh, let us pause for a brief musical interlude, not unrelated to what we've been talking about. My judge in D.C., uh, quote, represents, represents, to use the word he used on me after my heart attacks. Mr. Tsein represents that he's had these heart attacks. Well, my judge represents that he is unwell, but uh, that could just be a cover story. And as you know, you can't book a judge by his cover. So I thought, what with that judge screwing me over on the eve of trial? I thought we ought to have a judge song. This one's titles of the very words I was prevented from uttering on Monday. Good morning, judge. Went to all the honky tonks. We really got around. She's five foot two with eyes of blue and pretty as a queen. I didn't know her pop was a city cop and she was just 15. Good morning, Judge. Why do you look so mean, sir? And Mr. Judge, what can the charges be? If there's been trouble, I will plead not guilty. It must be someone else. You know it can't be me. I filed my income tax return. Thought I'd save some dough. I cheated just a little bit. I knew they'd never know. I got some money back this year, like I always do. They'll have to catch me before I pay internal revenue. Good morning, Judge. Why do you look so mean, sir? And Mr. Judge, what can the charges be? If there's been trouble, I will plead not guilty. It must be someone else. You know it can't be me.
separated just the other day. Last thing that she said to me was, brother, you will pay. She said I'd pay her every week. I'd better never fail. I said before I send you a dime, I'll die right here in jail. Good morning, Judge. Why do you look so mean, sir? And Mr. Judge, what can the charges be? If there's been trouble, I will plead not guilty. It must be someone else. You know it can't be me. Louis Innes wrote it and made the first record of it, but I have always preferred that version by Winoni Harris. Number six on the Billboard Race Records chart in 1950. She's five foot two with eyes of blue and pretty as a queen. I didn't know a pop was a city cop. And she was just 15. Good morning, Judge. Uh, if you're wondering about... Uh, Winoni Harris's other hits, well, they include Lollipop Mama, I Like My Baby's Pudding, Sitting On It All The Time, and Keep On Churning Till The Butter Comes. You get the picture, the uh, Billboard Race Records chart of the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, Mr. Harris's Swiveling Hips were a great influence on the stage persona of Elvis Presley. Good morning, Judge. In the dank, fetid, septic tank of the District of Columbia Superior Court, will I ever get to utter those words? You know, I'm thinking of asking this lousy D.C. judge to recuse himself in favour of the funky judge.
Judge, you sure is funky. Bull and the Matadors with a Northern Soul classic from 1968. The Funky Judge, written by Leo Hutton and Andre Williams. Mr. Williams' biggest hit was Shake a Tail Feather, which you will surely recall from uh, Ray Charles in the Blues Brothers film. Uh, but he also wrote, all together now, Inky Dinky Wang Dang Do, Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It is 20 to 9, Greenwich Mean Time. A little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be. Uh, is that right? 20 to, yeah, that's right. 20 to 9, Greenwich Mean Time. It's uh, funny this week because the, uh, the uh, Western and Eastern hemispheres were a bit misaligned on the subject of time. Um, let's get back to your questions. We've got a lot of questions coming in on this god-awful lawsuit and the postponed trial in the District of Columbia. But uh, let's have a little break from that for a moment. The Notorious Mr. J writes, uh, that's possibly not his real name, but uh, Mr. J says, a return spotlight on the presently forgotten war in the Ukraine. Isn't that conflict of greater importance to the broader interests of the West, and shouldn't it be still in our sights? Peter Zahan's latest commentary on YouTube points out some important points that one can take either as conspiracy theory or portents of potential doom. First, there are the allegations of deliberate human rights violations by the Russian side, which surely should be subject to high-profile investigation by the likes of the Red Cross or Amnesty International. Second, there is Zian's contention that Putin's Ukrainian folly is just the first stage of a greater planned rampage across Eastern Europe to restore old czarist USSR territories. This could easily mean eventual nuclear headbutting between NATO and the Russian Federation. Ah, how naive were the expectations after 1991. The end of history, my butt. Well, I'll, I'll say a couple of things to that. They weren't naive. Uh, it was a conscious choice after the collapse of the Soviet Union by Washington not to embrace uh, Russia and bring it within the fold of the community of nations. Uh, so it wasn't just a missed opportunity. It was an actual choice, strategic choice that Washington made. And uh, is it working out well? Well, you you say, uh, wait, 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 let's have a look at, we're, we're, I want to make sure I get this right, that Putin's Ukrainian folly, well, we've been told it was a folly for two years now. And we were told in those first weeks that the sanctions would bring Putin to his knees it doesn't seem to have worked that way. I mean, we're not even talking about when Putin decides to blow his enemies out of the sky like he did with the uh, Prigozhin, the chef uh, and the head of the Wagner group. But we're just, you know, it just what they told us would happen hasn't happened. The sanctions weakened Europe more than they weakened uh, Russia. The uh, blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline is a bigger problem for Europe than it is for Russia. Putin is sitting there, uh, and in the meantime, where 
throwing bazillions of dollars into the second most corrupt nation in Europe, the first most corrupt being Russia, of course. So nobody knows where all the money's gone. Uh, I'll tell you where some of the weaponry must have gone, though, because one of the reasons, this is how stupid thoroughly modern Milley and his fellow generals are. One reason why the chiefs, one, one reason why the White House leaned on Israel to delay its ground invasion of uh, Gaza is because they understood that it would provoke in certain bases, countries around the region, uh, possible attacks on American bases. And they didn't have the air cover to protect those bases. They didn't have the Patriot missiles. The Patriot missiles have apparently all gone somewhere else. So uh, they don't have the Patriot missiles to protect vulnerable U.S. bases in uh, Saudi Arabia, for example. So uh, I'll, I'll make another point. With This is a bigger point, really, than bigger than Ukraine, bigger than Gaza. But I would say that, uh, geopolitically speaking, the future belongs to those powers that act as conventional nation-states or conventional empires, i.e. Russia, China, maybe, who knows, Iran. It doesn't belong to nations that think they are sort of lofty, disinterested, attitude-striking parties flouncing around the world, uh, claiming to be no more or less than the world's policemen. We hear a lot these days about globalism. Nobody likes globalism because it's sort of, if you think about it, it's sort of weird. We're supposed to be democratic societies in which the people decide uh, their policies through the people they elect. And yet instead, everyone's sort of meeting in Klaus Schwab's hollowed out Alp at Davos, making plans for all the little people our rulers have no connection with except when they take their private jets around the world. Who were the first globalists? The proto-globalists. The United States. Uh, after the Second World War, America's 1950 moment, when it was the great survivor because all the other powers, their cities had been reduced to rubble and they were in economically catastrophic condition and trying to rustle up a, a few uh, pounds and francs and marks to rebuild their shattered nations. So there's America and it's 1950 moment. Now before the Second World War, you know, one of the reasons why the League of Nations was a problematic institution uh, was because conventional imperial powers like uh, Britain, uh, France, uh, Italy, who Turkey, Russia, whoever, didn't like infringements on uh, their freedom of manoeuvre by an international body. Although they were prepared, you know, to go along with it, negotiating the maximum size of your navy and all that kind of thing. Um, but, but America doesn't have an imperialist bone in its body. So it decided that it, when it succeeded to global dominance in 1950, that it was not going to do 
what Britain, France, uh, Austria, Hungary, whoever you want to name, had done and act like a conventional empire. Um, instead, it was going to create global institutions. The global institutions uh, were founded on a pretense that, for example, the ambassador from the United States uh, is equivalent to the ambassador from Sudan. But everyone was supposed to understand it was a pretense and America would still operate through these global institutions. Just to take a, for instance, the World Health Organization. You know, who came up with that idea? Well, that was the way America decided to uh, operate in the years after the Second World War. And over the ensuing decades, every single one of those institutions became institutionally anti-American. So effectively, the United States set up uh, platforms that amplified the most rinky-dink, pipsqueak little enemy and gave him a voice on the world stage. And now, as you see, we have the World Health Organization Treaty to which Joe Biden and every other Western leader has signed up. Uh, and that will ensure that, uh, you know, when we, if, you, if you liked what Florida did during the last lockdown, if you liked what Sweden did during the last lockdown, they're not going to have that freedom of movement once this treaty comes into play. As I said, America the proto-globalists, the proto-globalists. Uh, just, just a thought. Yeah, and just to go back to that, the central point that Mr. J was making there. The fact is, nothing we've been told about the Ukraine war has gone as planned. Putin is, there may well be eventual nuclear headbutting as Mr. J says, between NATO and the Russian Federation. But I'm not, Russia has more nuclear weapons than anybody else on Earth. Um, and after what we've learned with the fact that the Gaza land wars had to be postponed until the Pentagon can scramble and figure out a way to get some protective Patriot missiles out to its Middle Eastern bases. Uh, and uh, whatever proportion of Patriot missiles aren't deployable, I wonder what proportion of uh, the nuclear arsenal is actually deployable. Uh, just a thought, just putting that out there. Uh, just putting that out there. Uh, tell you what, I'll take uh, another question on another non-legal. Alison Castellina. I'm doing this mainly because she has the most mellifluous surname. Uh, and Alison says, we've heard this week with dismay and grief, but not surprised at the COVID inquiry in London about a toxic, chaotic and dysfunctional culture of secrecy inside Downing Street with key people seen as narcissistic, headless chickens or supermarket trolleys. <laughs> That's what Americans would call a supermarket cart. I had a conversation about supermarket trolleys and supermarket carts with the late Doris Day, 
absolutely delightful conversation. Uh, key people seen as narcissistic headless chickens or supermarket trolleys varying between two extremes lacking in humanity. Ministers were regarded by their own colleagues as liars. We heard evidence presented about the big shut-up of women, a symptom of the macho takeover of all levers of power. Has your team gleaned anything yet? which suggests who or what was the driving force behind the Ofcom directive to the media in March 2020, which rolled out censorship and from which we have not yet escaped. Well, I talked about uh, democracy, about the people electing their own representatives to enact the policy they supported. The interesting thing about COVID everywhere was that it basically nullified the legislative branch, which became irrelevant everywhere, even in those countries that didn't actually shut down parliament on health grounds. And it, uh, and it uh, amped up the executive branch. But in effect, the experts, you know, the guys flanking, you'd have the, it, there's Fauci in America, uh, there's, uh, what's he called, uh, the guy who's got two nighthouds now? Is that Sir Patrick Valance next to Boris Johnson? You know, all these people, uh, it was ruled by experts, which we've been told we need. And this was the first chance they had to give it a go. And uh, it didn't work out well for anybody, did it? Uh, Churchill had the right attitude to experts. They thought they had specialist knowledge that became a kind of tunnel vision. So you see your little part of the the problem. You have your little models on COVID deaths and all the rest of it. You don't. What do you care? You don't know anything about what happens when you shut down an economy. You just know your little piece of the picture. That's why Churchill didn't want experts in his war cabinet. And lazy old Boris, the useless bugger, uh, decided that he uh, he he he's the new Churchill, and he failed to learn that lesson. Toby Pilling ads. I don't actually know, I don't think I do, who was behind the Ofcom directive. But the Ofcom directive was coordinated with Boris's underlings to shut up any contrarian viewpoints. And we have the names of a few of those underlings, but others will emerge in court. Toby Pilling said Boris had his moment to emulate Churchill during COVID when he could have mustered the phlegmatic British character against the ravages of the virus. Instead, he marshaled our steadfast nature against the pressures of lockdown, school closures and mask wearing. Why did he flop so badly? Uh, Because he's completely lazy. He's lazy and he's influenced by whoever he wants to drop his pants to. In this case, Matthew Simon's daughter, uh, Carrie. So all this. So you see occasional pushbacks when he sees that the median age of covid death is actually older than United Kingdom life expectancy. So these people uh, <laughs> So, so the median age of COVID death is above UK life expectancy. But he still goes along with what the experts tell him because he's lazy, 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 lazy. Always has been. Always has been. And 
the thing about the thing about Boris is that he wanted to become prime minister. He wanted to swank around as prime minister. And so he wasn't terribly interested in doing anything that that uh, that would too different that would put him on the outs, would get him a bad press, would ensure that he went to the G7 meeting, Joe Biden would say, hey, why aren't you doing what everybody else is doing? And he doesn't have that kind of courage. He really doesn't. In the end, he's just a sort of corpulent, squishy nothing. don't think I want to give any more time <laughs> Uh, to uh, to that question. Uh, John Fatchy says, I won't use the overcharged N-word, but American anti-Semitism has reached 1930s German proportions. I'm sure you must understand the UK origins of Zionism better than I. I support the state of Israel and I support Netanyahu to do what he must. Since Zionism is a done deal and was settled before my birth, I don't have a strong perspective on the entire issue. Was there originally an anti-Semitic plot to deny Jews freedom to live where they want and then to concentrate the population to do what Hamas and the Bolshevik left is doing now? I found your deposition videos fascinating, John adds. If you can expound on your explanation of UK education... As you touched on in the deposition, I would be quite grateful. Thank you for what you bring to our culture. That's very nice of you to say so, John. Uh, Zionism. You know, the, 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 the Jews had lived as minorities all over the place. And it hadn't always gone well for them. And uh, as the Zion, you know, the 1917 Balfour Declaration committed his majesty's government to the establishment of a jewish homeland in the middle east if you read uh sitwell's uh well you don't have to read it actually because i dramatized it um a journey through the bukovina in what was then greater romania and especially through the jewish parts which is a big part of his focus and he he sort of uh <laughs> Uh, comes down on the idea, which actually was in the air at that time, of having a Jewish homeland in Africa. I think in East Africa was the sort of favoured place, uh, what's what's now Uganda. The alternative would have been not to have a Jewish homeland and to do what Britain was doing at that time. um, I mentioned somewhere or other... Uh, a while back, uh, the Marquess of Reading, who was the first Jew in Britain raised to a Marquisate, which is second only to a dukedom. There's yet to be a Jewish duke. But the, the Marquess of Reading, a Jew, was then made Viceroy of India. So they send a Jew out to govern the Indian subcontinent, which has more Muslims than anywhere else on earth. And in fact, if you're, this is a tip for uh, the average jihadist in what's now Pakistan, if you accidentally, prematurely self-detonate before 
before you manage to uh, destroy the Christian church or whatever you're trying to take out, you'll be taken in Peshawar to what is still called Lady Reading Hospital, uh, endowed by the Marchioness of Reading, a Jewess. That's how crap you guys are. The, uh, the best hospital in the country had to be founded by a Jewess for all you Jew-hating Muslims. The cultural confidence of that, sending out the Marquess of Reading, a Jew, to govern uh, the biggest number of Muslims on earth in the Indian uh, subcontinent. Um, I'll just add one other thing. The Nazi stuff is, is irrelevant now. We've actually outdone the Nazis, right? Okay, show me the Pathé newsreels of hundreds of thousands of people marching through the streets of Western cities saying, kill the Jews, gas the Jews. Outside the Sydney Opera House, gas the Jews, gas the Jews. Uh, they weren't actually doing that outside opera houses in the 1930s. The, um, the German government had to make its plans for Jews sotto voce. Because if they'd come out and said, gas the Jews, kill all the Jews, like all these nice chappies marching through London and New York and Montreal and your town here, uh, people would have felt a bit queasy about it. We've out... And so it used to be Godwin's law that it was crude to compare anything to the N-word, as John Fatshe says, the Nazi word. But where actually, I think, you know, the excuse... Germany had, the Germans, the non-Nazi Germans had, was that no one had done this before. So you could say, well, you know, I re I'm not terribly into Jews, but I had no idea they were going to kill six million of them. If you were a German after the Second World War, you could get away, just about get away with that. We, we now don't have that right because we know where this led. And in fact, it's gotten worse because in the last few weeks, uh, those wanker coppers in the Metropolitan Police in London, for example, have made it clear that... Uh, have you seen that little video of them tearing down uh, the posters about missing Israelis? Tearing down that and then standing idly by as people call for death to the Jews in the streets of London. So we've actually mainstreamed death to the Jews in the UK, in the US, in Canada, in Europe, in Australia. We've actually mainstreamed the whole death to the Jews shtick in a way that publicly. Uh, the government of Germany between 1933 and 1945 wasn't able uh, to do. That's actually a somewhat disturbing uh, achievement. Michelle Dulac uh, says, So the unexpected illness that postponed your trial was of the judge. And there was no way of notifying you before you got on the flight to D.C. Man, I can smell the rat from here. And I'm on the other coast. This trial stinks so many ways that I honestly don't see how you persevere. But you do. 
and I salute you for it. Keep on, stay safe, and I will be checking out your stick. Yeah, that's the Stein Online Liberty Stick, uh, limited uh, edition. I sign and number them all, uh, and uh, that's available over at the uh, Stein store. Michael Woodard says, Mark, I'm a bit concerned that taking on the government in two countries has had a deleterious effect on your health. After watching three hours or so of your deposition with a number of lawyers, uh, I can say you do keep your cool and therefore your blood pressure under control, so keep that up. I did enjoy the couple of times you cut loose on Mr. Williams. That is John Williams, Michael E. Mann's lawyer. Since we supposedly... Oh, you've got, like, multiple-choice uh, questions here. Let's see. Well, I'll, I'll get to a couple. Since we supposedly have a right in America for a speedy trial of our peers, do you have no recourse to have the man Inquisition terminated? Uh, well, the constitutional right to a speedy trial, which actually isn't that speedy even for those who qualify, you could ask those... Fellas still sitting in jail and sometimes in solitary confinement since their arrest shortly after January the 6th. You have a, uh, a constitutional right to a speedy trial uh, if you are in, in criminal matters where you're at risk of loss of liberty. I'm not at risk of loss of liberty except, you know, uh, I'm showing outright contempt for the court. So uh, if I ever get into his courtroom again, he can actually have me arrested, that guy. Um, <clears throat> uh, but, but the speedy trial thing is if you kill someone or you uh, rape someone or you steal a whole bunch of stuff or whatever. Uh, I do think they should actually have it, both from man's point of view and, and mine, for something like defamation, because that's actually, a, it's a great, terrible thing to be defamed, as man thinks he has been, and it's a terrible thing uh, to be called a defamer if you're not, which is my position. And and that should be, but it, actually we don't even get it, need to get into that, because uh, you know all the, people keep saying, oh, John Dice and Jandice, the famous case in Dickens, Bleak House. That was a probate case. And as you know, if there's a big estate, relatives will argue about it. And sometimes they'll keep the argument going for the next generation. So the kid who was, uh, you know, nine years old when it started, he's suddenly 21 or whatever, and he wants a piece of the long-running case. Uh, Dickens had in mind, I can't remember the name of the case, but it was a probate case that began, I think, in the Court of Chancery in England uh, I want to say roughly around the 1780s, and it ran for over a century until 1915 when it ended because there was no more money in the estate <laughs> to argue over uh, because it had all been spent on lawyers. But it ran for over a century. Now, that's a probate case. And you can, and as I said, that can become multi-generational just because people want to argue about their piece of the action. There's no reason except for the crapness of the D.C. court for a case to run as long as this has. And I want to just say one thing here. I'm absolutely, I loathe 
And this is why I can't stand seeing, ah, you know, Mark Levin. Oh, I'm a clever lawyer and uh, I can give you the legalistic view of this and all the rest of it. It's nothing to do with that. This system is evil. And I would love to see, I don't know whether Mark Levin is advising Donald J. Trump, because it's been a while since Donald J. Trump contacted me. But I would say to Trump, you know, he's now being, they're being, they're imposing, ga- this, the state is imposing gag orders on the leading opposition candidate, Right. He's not allowed, for example, to say anything disparaging about the capital city of the United States. The stuff I've been saying for the last hour about the crappy capital city of the United States, uh, the judge has enjoined Donald J. Trump from saying, even though he is the opposition party's leading candidate. So at a certain point, you know, I'm, I, I do this and I do that, but in the end, I'm. this is just some... I'm just some no-name Canadian loser. He's the former president of the United States. He should shove these rulings up their respective asses. These people who say, oh, uh, oh no, now you've said something about Mark Meadows. Uh, you, can't, you can't do that. Uh, we're going to have another gag order on, on that. All this stuff. He should, he should how, you know, you, you know the line of Stalin, how many divisions has the Pope? Well, how many divisions has a district court judge in Georgia? Do they, you know how this has gone for him in the polls. Uh, at uh, November the 1st, I want to make sure I get this right. Give me, a, just give me a couple of seconds. November the 1st, 2015, Trump was four points ahead of his nearest rival, Jeb, or whoever it was then. If anyone remembers Jeb. He's, he's basically now 50 points ahead of his nearest rival, which is DeSantis, who's down around 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 points. So he actually, because it's an evil system, he's, and they're now so brazen that they're attempting, you know, this thing is obviously ridiculous. It's a complete, if the First Amendment means anything, that might be a tough call in my case, according to those useless appellate judges, but it's not a tough call when you're preventing the leading opposition candidate running to be the uh, nominee and take on Joe Biden in the November election next year. It's not a close call when a judge says to him, oh, you can't say anything about the capital city of the United States. He should, uh, he should, he, he needs to actually uh, push back against all this a bit harder, I would say. Alan Miller writes, uh, dear Mark, there's a lot I need to say, but space does not, that's, that, isn't there a song that begins... Words can wait until another. Uh, kiss me once, kiss me twice, kiss me once again. It's been a long, long time. I think that's the first line of your letter. Uh, but space, um, don't worry, I'm not going to kiss you once, kiss you twice, or kiss you once. I'm not going to kiss you once, never mind all the multiple times. Alan says, there's a lot I need to say, but space does not allow me more than hints. If you were a military general... Under what conditions would you call for a tactical retreat, giving up ground 
And when would you do this? As you know, if the retreat is called too early, it turns into a rout, then into defeat. But if you retreat in time, it's possible to regroup and win in other areas. That is certainly true. I have been where you are. I've been in the front line with others cheering me on from the sidelines. I've also reached the same conclusion as you, that I may as well conduct a legal defense myself since professional counsel are at best poor, even though they cost a fortune. Uh, Alan is writing from the UK. I think there are as many solicitors in England and Wales as there are in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, So it's a lot harder to become a solicitor or a barrister in other countries than it is. As Conrad Black always points out, America has as many lawyers as the rest of the world combined, which logically leads one to assume that it has at least as many bad lawyers as the rest of the world combined. Alan goes on, I really appreciate you fighting for free speech in my country, the UK. I don't want to weaken your morale or efforts, but to be honest, I'm already making my escape plans. The situation here is already beyond hope. So even if you win at great personal cost, I'm sorry, but it will not affect the final outcome. I understand you when you say something like, if you aren't prepared to give up everything, then give up nothing. You critique conservatives who say this isn't the hill to die on. I'm sorry, but you could die on this additional hill. The U.S. Marines say no man left behind, then lose 30 men rescuing one injured who subsequently dies. This is absolutist thinking. Democrats say it's not who we are. Well, you're not the type of man to walk away from a fight. That's not who you are. But absolutist thinking must be weighed against relative thinking. So I return to my original question. Under what conditions would you call for a tactical retreat? And when would you retreat? I'm sending you this message With love, as a fellow human being, I just want you to live longer, walk in the woods, see your children, listen to music, and so on. Well, you know, I do have, uh, I, I take your point, but I don't think I can tactically retreat on the hockey stick or on Ofcom. I'm disgusted, to be frank, I'm disgusted by the cowardice of uh, London telly and radio presenters. I had no idea they were so cowed and so boxed in. Ofcom didn't exist the last time I was in UK broadcasting, which was half a lifetime ago. They've exceeded their powers. You know, the thing about it is we're all going to... The thing is, those guys shouting Allahu Akbar outside Westminster Abbey are your future. I understand you've given up on the joint, which is tragic. I, I don't like to think that a land that in large part created the modern world is to be turned into an Islamic dump. But that is going to be the future unless people can talk honestly about things. And the fact is, you know, when you watch the Tories and Trivia channel, what are they talking honestly about? You know, everyone got excited because um, Neil Oliver, I love Neil, he's He's very brave. Uh, we had dinner in uh, in London when I was doing the show over there. I I think he's a, a great man, and his uh, I thought it was great that he pushed back against Boris Johnson, the liar, the fraud, the big fat dumpling who screwed the country. 
And the idea that he's now to be these awful nothing people, they're actually not nothing. In fairness to Flopadopoulos and Mick Booker and Neil Pollard, they're at least man enough that they tried to kill me <laughs> while I was uh, in December and January. That takes guts, you know. Um, and uh, But I think, I, I do think, you know, it's violence, awful violence. It's dead bodies, unless you can have free speech to talk about this stuff honestly. Um, you know, and I, uh, and, and that's, that's important to me. Uh, here's a last minute question from Chris Gelber. Mark's, Chris says, Mark, I'm about your age and have been through a few things in my time. When the world decides to sit on your head, it can be pretty wearying. What you have been going through for a long time now in the case of man and more recently with off-common heart attacks is tough stuff. If this is not too personal a query, when it gets you down, where do you go, so to speak, to rest and revive? Well, you know, there are beautiful things in life and there are fun things in life. That's why we have the musical interlude on these shows. That's why we do things like poetry uh, here at Stein Online, because if not, I would be dead. Because that's there has to be... Um, there ha you can't just have... Jihad, 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 COVID, 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 jihad, jihad, lockdown, lockdown, vaccine. You can't have that. You got to have. Uh, Vicky Spit uh, knows this. Vicky was a musician. She lost the love of her life with whom she played on stage all over Britain and Europe. And she understands that, you, you, know, you know, no matter how ugly and awful life gets you have to you can't just do jihad covid covid jihad all day long that isn't that isn't a, a a sane thing to do i will say you know i was in grenoble doing france i was in france under medical care and uh i i had a rather urgent need to be seen in a hospital in Grenoble, Grenoble, whatever you call it in English. And after that, as I was making my way back, um, I stopped in a little village up in the mountains, a village of about 200 people, but it happens to have a, a Michelin-starred restaurant. Um, and so I just sat there. I, had, I can't remember, you know, I'd been advised not to drink too heavily. So I was just having a kir, uh, a little bit of white wine with cassis uh, in it. And I was just sitting there, had a very nice meal. I was just looking out at from this beautiful terrace, this restaurant, just a little restaurant, a little village. Um, and uh, but a lot better than DC restaurants, where they uh, they manage to be expensive and pretentious, but without being good. At least <laughs> in the case of certain hotels I've been in in the last few weeks. Anyway, so I'm just a little, little village restaurant, looking at the mountains, and I'm thinking that we have built uh, some of the best, loveliest societies on earth and then our leaders have taken steps which will destroy them 
and which will ensure that my grandchildren never get to sit in a little beautiful village restaurant looking at the mountains like that. But I do things like that, and for a moment, the beauty of the world is upon me. Um, so, and, and I, you know, and as I said, that's why we have the little musical interludes on this show. We were playing judge songs a little earlier, of which there are many. Um, but I have to say, and this is also one of the things I enjoy in my life, uh, possibly the best judge song, maybe the one that Mark Stein Club member Josh Passell wrote in our comments uh, the other day, because we have some of the best commenters. Join the Mark Stein Club uh, and become one of our stellar commenters too. Um, anyway, Josh wrote this after Judge Irving postponed the trial, and he just did, yes, we have no Judge Irving. We have no Judge Irving today. Uh, but, of course, the problem with that, clever, clever, funny, uh, check it out. Uh, but the problem with that is it simply plants the original earworm in your head for the, for the ensuing days or weeks or months as it has in mind. So here, from 1961, what a cracking arrangement, what a cracking take. Here's Anthony Newton. Yes, we have no bananas we have no bananas today We've brought beans like bunions we got cabbages and onions And all kinds of fruit and say We have an old-fashioned tomato A nice Jersey potato mm, But yes, we have no bananas We have no bananas today there's a fruit store on our street It's run by a Greek <laughs> And he has good things to eat But you should hear him speak When you ask him anything Now he never answers no He just yeses you to death And as he takes your dough He tells you yes We've got no nanas <laughs> We've got no nanas today we got raw beans just like bunions We got cabbages, we got onions And all kinds of goodies, yeah We've got an old-fashioned tomato <laughs> And a nice fat Jersey potato uh, But yes, we've got no nanas We've got no nanas today Yes, we've got no great big lovely big fat bananas today We've got no nanas today We got broad beans just like bunions We got cabbages, we got onions And three kinds of rhubarb Oh yeah We have an old-fashioned tomato And a real-life Jersey potato Yeah, dear, but yes We've got no nanas. We got broad beans like bunions. We got cabbages and onions. We got pears and cucumbers in unlimited numbers. We've got grapes and tomatoes. We got King Edward potatoes. We've had them since early last May. Yeah, a banana today. 
one and only Anthony Newley. I miss him so much. He's got no nanas, but he does have a King Edward potato, so there's that. Yes! We have No Bananas, written in 1923 by Frank Silver and Irving Cohn. If you're wondering who they are, well, Mr. Cohn had a rather good dance band of the time, and Mr. Silver is, of course, the author of What Do We Get From Boston? Beans, Beans, Beans. Stick with Stein Online, Laura's links coming up tomorrow. Laura Rosencohen rounds up the internet as nobody else can. Don't miss it. And don't leave it too late to snaffle up one of our limited edition Stein Online Liberty Sticks. They've got both Magna Carta and the U.S. Constitution on there, so you can feel free to wave that Constitution at anyone you like. But the Sign Online Liberty Sticks are going fast, and when they're gone, that's it. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, and if you can, stay out of the clutches of the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt U.S. quote, justice system. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.